Global Connections Television is a privately funded, independently produced program. The opinions expressed on Global Connections are solely those of the moderator and his guests. We invite you to go to the website at www.globalconnectionstelevision.com to view previous shows. Global Connections is provided at no cost to help people in the U.S. and worldwide better understand how international issues impact our lives. Welcome to today's Global Connections program. I'm Bill Miller. Today we're going to take a look at the Sustainable Development Goals that were launched in, well, really they were adopted and are going to run from 2016 to 2030. We have someone today who's very knowledgeable of this whole process and how it began. Ms. Paula Caballero was Senior Director of the World Bank Environment and Natural Resources Global Practice. Prior to joining the World Bank, she was the Director for Economic, Social, and Environmental Affairs in the Ministry of Foreign Affairs of Colombia. Her upcoming book is Redefining Development, the Extraordinary Genesis of the Sustainable Development Goals. Paula Caballero, welcome to today's Global Connections program. Thank you, Bill. Thank you so much for inviting me to join you today. I appreciate you being with me today. Let's get right into it. What, what is the main theme of your book? Why, why did you decide to write this book? We're at a critical juncture of several intersecting crises around climate, biodiversity, equity. And the SDGs, I think, are a roadmap for our times. The SDGs, everybody assumes that they were just a UN construct that followed the MDGs, but nothing could be further from the truth. The MDGs completely broke the MDG paradigm, so to speak, and changed radically how we understand development. And this is a moment when we have to implement and change our development project trajectories in a very decisive way. Looking to what it took to get the SDGs adopted really um, should give us the political will, the implementation muscle, the unflagging vision to bring about the kind of deep shifts, the structural changes that are needed. So I wrote the book as an inspiration, an invitation, so that we really think and implement in a very different way and deliver the change needed to tackle all these intersecting crises. Mm -hmm. And I'm glad you mentioned the MDGs. We'll just give a little bit of background history on that. The MDGs, the Millennium Development Goals, were adopted by the United Nations and ran from 2000 to 2015. And of course, former Secretary General Kofi Annan was very involved in creating that whole concept. And they were, they were quantifiable objective goals to reduce abject poverty by 50%, to reverse the AIDS pandemic, to empower women. And of course, there were five more that we won't get into. But then after that, we have the Sustainable Development Goals that really were adopted in 2015 by the UN General Assembly and are going to run from 2016 to 2030. And they're, as I understand them, are more ambitious and more comprehensive in that they want to eliminate poverty completely. They want to eliminate hunger, to empower women, to promote, on, promote sustainable development, climate change, and they're just more, much more comprehensive. But let's pick up there and, and take off whichever way you'd like to go as far as talking about either one of those concepts or going back even further. I know you were involved in a conference in 1992, the real conference, the UN Conference on Environment and Development. So we'll just pick up there and, and take off. Thank you so much. Um, in the interest of time, let me just focus on the MDGs. Um, okay. As you know, the MDGs were adopted um, actually in 2002 
but they were uh, very, they were a galvanizing force. They, they really changed uh, a lot of development trajectories. They enabled many different constituencies, not just governments, but also private sector and other uh, civil society organizations to come together around very tangible outcomes um, that everybody stepped up to. So in that way, they were very remarkable. And Colombia, I am Colombian, um, really embraced the MDGs as did, um, I think, all countries in the world, both developed and developing. And international development aid, for example, was organized around the MDGs. But from my perspective, they were insufficient. They tackled some of the core areas of development, uh, maternal mortality, um, infectious diseases um, like malaria. Um, they were calling for an end to hunger and an end to poverty, but they were very insufficient because they were minimalist. They only called on developing countries to act. Developed countries were only to provide funding. And they weren't really tackling all the structural underpinnings that would enable us to really tackle hunger. So, for example, hunger, you don't end hunger by wishing it away. You have to change food systems and energy systems and education and empower women and really focus on how you get credit and technology down to the smallholders. So the MDGs were fantastic, but they were very limited. What the SDGs are about was building on the MDGs to really take, as you said, a much more comprehensive understanding of development and look at the social, economic, and environmental dimensions as one in their integration, managing the synergies, the win-wins, and the trade-offs so that we can really tackle the complexity of development in a way that's gonna bring about not just any shift, but durable, sustained shifts that deliver not just on sustainability, but on the equity. And that generated, if I can jump to another question that I know is coming, enormous uh, backfire. There was resistance to the shift because everybody was comfortable with the MTGs. As I used to say, the MTGs were tacked on the walls of ministries, of banks, of bilateral aid agencies, and they were fantastic, but as I said, insufficient. And when I proposed the SDGs, initially, everybody thought I was completely mad, that it was an unworkable, absurd proposition that was just too complex and too unwieldy, and that we were undermining the MDGs. And mind you, this was 2011. It was four years before the MDGs were due to sort of had their end date. And there was a lot of, of concern that we were going to derail commitment to the MDGs which was not the intention at all. And actually, as we all know, not what happened. But the SDGs were calling on the world to, first of all, bring erase that divide between developed and developing and tackle as a global unified community, as a universal agenda, these issues that we have to deal with. Because just to give you one really good example, food waste. Food waste is critical if we're gonna end hunger. It's, it's a, an, an, a big part of that agenda. And food waste happens in every single country. In many developing countries, it happens when you harvest and post-harvest. Developed countries, it will happen more at the consumption end of the equation. But all along that whole spectrum, we had food systems. And the entire world, all of the governments have to step up to see how we change those food systems. It's the same thing with climate change or the biodiversity crisis or trade or the impacts that we're seeing of some of the global conflicts and global processes ongoing right now. So it's very clear that we, in order to tackle the development challenges that we share as a species, as humankind, in a way that also protects and safeguards our immense and vital natural resources and natural riches on which our continued health and well-being depend, we had to do things differently. And that's what the SDGs were about. 
But that resistance shows that when you really want to shift a paradigm, you have to be in it for the long haul and that it's not so easy to do that. That's very true. And of course, a lot of the people looked at the Millennium Development Goals as sort of, I think, maybe the first layer of the foundation to get to a better set of goals, which they did eventually. I'm just curious, when you think back, uh, what uh, you're talking about some of the challenges as far as getting people to sign on to the Millennium Development Goals. And of course, the, the member states of the UN needed to do that. That's absolutely critical or they wouldn't have gone any place in their particular country. But when you think back, uh, even prior to that, I mentioned in the opening about the UN Conference on Environment and Development, the UNSAID conference in 1992 in Rio de Janeiro. What role did that conference play as far as promoting a discussion of sustainable development, as far as looking at biodiversity, as far as trying to build upon, I guess the uh, Brundtland Commission report came out about that same time or right before that. But what role did that conference play as far as moving this whole discussion forward? Um, a good question. The Rio Plus 20, con the Rio, sorry, the UNSET conference, uh, so-called the Earth Summit in 92, was really a watershed um, in that it it really tried to get the environmental dimension, the environmental um, uh, concerns out of the small box and to really un understand that environment underpins human development. And I think it marks a, a point in, in the journey towards sustainable development in that it really, for the first time, tried to galvanize uh, and bring uh, intersectoral, multi-purpose, multi-stakeholder engagement around this idea that environment was absolutely core to human well-being and human development. It was also a vitally important uh, conference in that it came forward with what was called Agenda 21, which was, if you will, a roadmap with 21 chapters that talked about and tried to lay out uh, pathways to bring about that kind of change. Um, the big, I think, lesson from that is that there was a lot of momentum after the 92 Many countries, including my own, like Colombia, created ministries of the environment, and many countries created commissions on, on, on uh, development. And there was a lot of sort of governance outreach around and post the Earth Summit, but it didn't go very far. Agenda 21 was uh, prescriptive, and it was not an, an agile um, reference, an agile framework. And um, I think that the energy around that integrated agenda that the Earth Summit had tried to kick off gradually sort of petered out over time. Um, we then had in, in 1987, as you mentioned, the Brundtland Report, which really brought to into our common language, our common grammar, this idea of sustainable development. And then a couple of years later, um, in um, at the turn of the century, in, in 2020, in 2002, we had the uh, Johannesburg Summit, which was Rio plus 10. And that summit came forward with the Johannesburg Plan of Implementation, which was really a cookbook of recommendations. And that really went nowhere. So when I started to look at Rio plus 20, I had the example of Agenda 21, which had galvanized a lot of incredible momentum, but really hadn't been able to create the traction to change systems to get all different sectors and different constituencies, governments and private sector, academia, civil society, really galvanized around single metrics. And we had that powerful example of what the MDGs had accomplished. So building on the Rio um, summit 
And building on the ex example of the MDGs, it was um, bringing these two together that we came up with the idea of the SDGs. And the SDGs were trying to build on Agenda 21, but unpack it and develop around it a very simple framework, a simple metric that everybody could rally around, which is just what had happened with the MDGs. But we were, as you noted, far more ambitious because this covered all sectors and called on everybody, not just governments, to act and to implement. And as you mentioned, it was, it was quite a process. It was a remarkable process. It was a very involved process. And there were some folks and institutions and players who were very enthusiastic, others who were not quite as enthusiastic. Well, you're watching Global Connections Television, which is a privately funded, independently produced program. The opinions expressed on Global Connections are solely those of the moderator and his guest. We'd invite our viewers to go to our website at www.globalconnectionstelevision.com to view previous programs. Also, if you're involved with the PBS or Community Access Television Station, or perhaps an educational institution that has an intra-campus television hookup, or you have a podcast, or you just have a computer, you like our shows and you like to share them, please feel free to do so. Global Connections Television is provided at no cost as a public service to help us better understand international issues and how they impact our lives. Today, we're taking a look at two interesting programs that were adopted that ran 15 years each. And one was the Millennium Development Goals, the other is the Sustainable Development Goals. And my guest is an expert on both of these topics. Paula Gallero was Senior Director of the World Bank Environment and Natural Resources global practice. Prior to joining the bank, she was the Director for Economic, Social, and Environmental Affairs in the Ministry of Foreign Affairs of Colombia. Her upcoming book is Redefining Development, the Extraordinary Genesis of the Sustainable Development Goals. Paula, we're talking about the UN Conference on Environment and Development, talking about the input that went into it. How, how do you think that finally the forces came together, civil society, the, the countries at the United Nations, the member states of the General Assembly. What Was there one particular moment in time or was it just a matter of gradually bringing the players together, discussing the issues, trying to develop potential solutions or that would involve people? But what do you think was the breaking point or the point of success? Maybe that'd be a better way to put it. Thank you. It's a key question. And there actually it was not a single point. It was a process that when when I started out with this idea of the SDGs, and as you noted, there was widespread opposition. Those who even listened to me were very few and far and in between. Uh, everybody was wedded to the MDG paradigm and thought this was unworkable and just unwieldy. So what we did was a bottom up informal diplomacy process. That's how I can best characterize it. Um, if I had tried to change the UN resolution that had already defined in stone what the agenda was for Rio Plus 20, it, this process would not have prospered and we would not have the SDGs as we know them today. Rather, what I did was just start to um, create and, and prepare um, these briefing notes that explained why this concept was important and how it could contribute to the process going forward. And I canvassed it very extensively. And gradually, I started to build out a small cohort that grew over time. Initially, experts, 
Um, civil society played a decisive role. Um, and gradually, I think even within the UN and across a few, I wouldn't say governments because many governments were divided. And for example, the Ministry of Foreign Affairs would be supportive uh, of the MDGs and then the Ministry of the Environment would be supportive of the SDGs. There were divisions within countries. So it's a very difficult process from a government or from a diplomatic perspective. But I still was able to start to create a, a growing cohort of colleagues who saw this as really decisive. There were starting to be growing concerns also across many UN agencies. And I would venture to say even the UN Secretariat uh, for you, the conference, that the two formal agenda items were not really going to galvanize any decisive outcomes. They were very um, process oriented, really about sort of revamping um, the United Nations Environment Program and looking around a concept of green economy that had generated a lot of controversy. And that's why I proposed the SDGs, because this was a historic moment, a real opportunity that we could grasp to change how we do development. And here we were with this sort of very, um, if I can respectfully put it that way, rather bureaucratic agenda. So we built a, a groundswell of support for the SDGs. And the decisive moment was that the 1st of November was the deadline that had been set for everybody to submit their inputs as to what should be in the negotiation document for Rio Plus 20. And by that point, we had gotten enough traction that the SDGs carried the day and became a part of the Rio Plus 20 negotiations formally. Um, we then uh, continued to organize many, many, many side events and especially international conferences. And what was key there was that we always invited and made sure we had at the table those who were completely opposed to the SDGs because we wanted to have frank conversations and to understand, to help everybody understand what we were proposing and to help those people clarify why they were opposing, what they didn't like about the SDGs, because then we could have a rational informed conversation. And I think that that really showing that Colombia did not have its own agenda, that we were building something together, that we were constructing it and evolving the concept together as we went along, gradually started to create this groundswell. But let me not kid you, it was really hard. And as you will see in the book, right up to the very last hours of the negotiations in Rio, the SDGs almost got derailed. So it was a very, very difficult and uh, process throughout. Mm -hmm. I can certainly imagine it was, yes. Well, now we were talking about the sustainable development goals. And again, there are literally tens of thousands of organizations that have signed on to them. You have service clubs like Rotary, Kiwanis, different ones like that, private sector businesses have signed on, to maybe not all 17 sustainable development goals, but certainly many of them, because they see it's in the best interest of not only their particular operation, but also in helping to create a better world. So we have literally, I would say hundreds of millions of people today working, and many of them may not even know about the sustainable development goals, but they're working to eliminate poverty, to eliminate hunger, to work towards creating a clean planet or an energy efficient planet and those types of very laudable goals. So there are a lot of people who are involved in this who hopefully are moving in the right direction. But when you're talking about the role Colombia played, I think it's very true. So many times individual countries at the UN do play a critical role. I'm, I'm curious, you had a process going and the UN, there were, I know I interviewed people from the UN like uh, the current uh, Deputy Secretary General Amina Mohammed, who is uh, before she was heading up 
the Sustainable Development Goals discussion group at the United Nations. When did the two processes merge? How did they come together? That was another one of the huge challenges. And the reasons why there was so much opposition to my idea was because they were completely separate processes. There was a process that started in 1992, which went through Rio plus 10, and now we're going to have Rio plus 20. And that was its own process and separate. And that was a process that was sort of led by the environment community, if I can put it that way. And then you had the MDGs, which were the development community. And that was a separate process. The MDGs were due to, I had an end date of 2015. And most people were talking about sort of rolling over the MDGs because obviously we weren't going to like fulfill all of the goals by 2015. Uh, I called that option MDG plus. And to me, MDG plus was anathema. We could not have MDG plus because it was too minimalist. We needed a bold, ambitious, dramatic, if I can put it that way, framework like the SDGs. So there was the greatest opposition was sort of from the MDG side of the of the house which didn't want the MDGs to be undermined. They talked about unfinished business and we couldn't even talk about a successor to the MDGs until 2015. And I think it just speaks to the strength, quite frankly, of the informal diplomacy and the diplomacy that Colombia carried out, that we were able to get these two processes to become one and to segue into one. And that was why I mentioned that November 1st process um, as being so decisive because that's when the SDGs became and the SDGs were obviously about what was going to happen after the MTG. So that made the, as the MTG successor discussion a part of the real plus 20 process. And that was huge. To give you a, an example of how, or to help our viewers uh, and, and audience understand how huge that was, it is um, the SDGs were really, are, as I say again and again, they're one and the same with the climate agenda, with the biodiversity agenda, with the equity agenda. They're one and the same. But within the UN, as we know, you have the SDGs with the high-level political forum and the processes around the SDGs. And completely separate, you have the process around climate and climate week and the UNFCCC. And it is as if these two processes were merged into one, which is actually something that I think would be really important for the UN is to bring all of these processes together. But that's what we did in 2011 um, and then in 2012 was that we merged these two processes. And that's why we were able to get something as powerful as the SDGs on the books and then through to an adoption by all member states, as you were noting. And they are so very important. I've just, we cannot stress it too much. <laughs> the SDGs are absolutely critical. And of course, our viewers can Google Sustainable Development Goals or they can go to un.org. There are a variety of other places where they can pick up on these sustainable development goals. And hopefully they will encourage any institution or private sector company or whatever it might be that they're involved with to really get on board and get involved and to help create this better world because we're running out of time, especially on climate change. The climate crisis is still our number one challenge in the eyes of many scientists and, and political leaders and just a broad base of group of people. Well, Paula, before we close, and we're just almost out of time, we're involved in very important work right now. In a minute or so, what exactly are you doing? Thank you. Right now, I'm the Regional Managing Director for Latin America for the Nature Conservancy, which is a prominent and premier uh, NGO that works on environment conservation, but also delivering sustainable livelihoods for millions of people around the world. 
Latin America hosts six of the 10 most biodiverse countries in the world, and it is also home to incredibly rich cultural diversity. A lot of the food crisis that we will be facing will be solved or not in Latin America, which is slated to become, uh, to produce a quarter of the world's food in the next few years. So Latin America is at that crossroads of biodiversity and climate inequity. And I'm really pleased to be working with the Nature Conservancy, which is bringing very deep, far-reaching and multi-sectoral solutions to the table to help us tackle these crises. Well, Paula, I'm a donor to the Nature Conservancy. It's a very important organization. And I want to congratulate you on your book. And thank you for a very interesting and a very informative program. Thank you for having me, Bill. My pleasure. I'm Bill Miller. Thank you for joining us today on Global Connections Television. Global Connections Television is a privately funded, independently produced program. The opinions expressed on Global Connections are solely those of the moderator and his guests. We invite you to go to the website at www.globalconnectionstelevision.com to view previous shows. If you're involved with a PBS or community access television station or an educational institution that has an intra-campus television hookup, or perhaps a podcast or just a computer and would like to share the programs, please feel free to do so. Global Connections is provided at no cost to help people in the U.S. and worldwide better understand how international issues impact our lives.